The Free for All Roundtable. Brought to you by Lexus Avon, Canada's newest Lexus dealer. Near Canada's Wonderland in the Maple Auto Mall. Luxury is closer than you think. Round one. Appointment tuning all over southern Ontario, and that is Free for All Round One. Today featuring Tim Hudak, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives. He's now at the Ontario Real Estate Association. Mitzi Hunter is a former Liberal MPP and mayoral candidate. And Mark Warner is an international trade lawyer. Good morning to you all. And, you know, none of us are experts on the Middle East, but I don't think we can ignore that um, a hospital was destroyed yesterday. There's some dispute as to who did it. But it would seem, as Evan Solomon said when he joined us just after the news at 7, that Joe Biden arrives in the Middle East and there's nothing for him to do because nobody wants to talk. Uh, Let's start with Mark Warner. Well, I think that's true. I mean, you know, Biden is, has been described over many, many years in, in, in the United States as someone who has never been right about foreign policy ever. <laughs> He's always been on the wrong side. Um, and I, I didn't understand this trip to the Middle East to begin with. Like, I just I just seemed like, why would you fly in to a powder keg like that? Isn't that why you have a vice president? So I'm not surprised that it was canceled. The hospital thing, we have to look at it. It's, it's I, I was just so surprised how deeply Biden leans into the Israeli side of all of this. He's quoting an Israeli general who was, I just found the quote here that I had, who had said a week ago, quoted in the Wall Street Journal as saying, uh, we're, the emphasis is not on damage, the emphasis is on damage, not on accuracy. And that's the same general who's in the paper today saying that Israel is sure that they didn't do it. You know, it's like, you know, I don't know. We're going to see who did this. But uh, I, I just can't believe that the American president is leaning so deeply into it. I have to say, I've been, been, been fairly impressed with Prime Minister Trudeau, which is rare for me. Uh, I think he's been measured on this, as has the foreign policy foreign minister. But uh, I, I think Biden is showing why people have always never wanted him to be anywhere near a foreign policy decision. Okay. Mitzi Hunter, I mean, aside from wringing our hands, I guess we're just all going to be bystanders. Well, but I also agree with Mark. I, I believe that the prime minister has been pretty emphatic that it's a, it's illegal to bomb a hospital even at time of war. And there just has to be places that are, are off limits. And the humanitarian side of this has to come forward. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I think the prime minister was pretty emphatic about that. And, you know, this, uh, this situation is just... you know, I thought it was was just at its peak and it's like, well, this, you know, just uh, has gotten just so bad. And and, and the human side of this has to come forward, um, even in times of war and dispute where, you know, the issues are clear that Hamas, um, you know, initiated an unprovoked and gruesome attack on Israel, and Israel has that right to retaliate, but it has to do so in the rules of international law and conventions. Tim Hudak, are you more or less hopeful about things in the wake of this hospital disaster? No, a lot, a lot less hopeful, John. This, this is on a downward slide. It's going to get a, a lot worse uh, before it gets any better, um, and, and understandably so. With, with, with the the awful, the heinous terrorist attack, and the country has a right to defend itself. Um, what can we do here at home? I think is more important. And you know, I, I'm actually calling from from Ottawa. I'm here for a 
Native Real Estate Association conference, but uh, right beside us at the Westin, the Center for Israel and Jewish Affairs had a major conference about anti-Semitism. And to the credit of the Prime Minister was there uh, speaking, Pierre Palaev was there, Jagmeet Singh spoke, uh, as well as Blanchette from, from the block. It was um, good to see that uh, all four approached that conference. There was a rally out front from people who are pro-Palestine side. But everything was peaceful and quiet, and I, I walked uh, through that uh, through that crowd. It was it was good in my view to see the leaders of our major parties uh, there uh, in support at that uh, anti-Semitism conference. Uh, there's been a possible bed bug sighting on the TTC. Some video posted to uh, TikTok. Mitzi Hunter. Just when I thought the TTC couldn't be any less attractive, now we've got insects. Yeah, I just uh, you know my. My, my hope for the TTC turning things around, I mean, you got to be able to keep it clean, and that's the basics. Um, you know, obviously, there are bed bugs in this city. We may not want to acknowledge it, but there are. But the TTC has to do its job in terms of the maintenance of, of the system and making sure it is as clean and well-maintained as possible, because safety is actually also about how it appears and how it looks to people. And, uh, and there are many, many concerns that people have about TTC safety, so cleanliness shouldn't be one of them. Okay, and Tim Hudak, uh, some people are calling for the entire system to be retrofitted with plastic seats. That seems to me to be like a billion dollar solution to something we could take care of with a fumigation. <laughs> that is actually the sledgehammer to a fly <laughs> yeah. scenario. I, I just want to point out that I, I did not expect this to happen, that the outcome of finally having better cell service on the subway is that we're getting daily reports from what's going on, right? The bed bug today, yesterday, the guy, which I still say John Moore, was a motorcycle, not a bicycle on the subway. It looks like it's falling apart. Maybe we should block off the cell phones and it'll go quiet. We won't worry so much anymore. Okay. And Mark Warner, I know how much you like public transit anyway. Well, I happened to be on uh, the subway yesterday. I didn't see any bed bugs. I would have been grateful for a bed bug if I had seen it because I, I was caught up in some security incident at the St. Patrick's uh -oh. Metro uh, sort of right. subway station um, where the line was shut down from Spadina, so nothing south of Spadina. And what the announcer kept saying, the Union Station, St. Uh, Andrew Station, which as far as I know are two stations. <laughs> so which bloody station is it? Um, which don't you know when you work for the TTC which station is shut down? Isn't that kind of a basic? And it's just the lack of information that we were being told in the subway. I had no clue what the nature of the security incident was or what could possibly lead to a shutdown from Spadina to Union, let's say. Um, so, yeah, bed bugs. I would have been happy for a bed bug, John, if it could have got the service resumed and get me to my appointment faster. Uh, the feds are considering a guaranteed universal basic income program. Let me start with Tim Hudak on this one, because, Tim, we ran a pilot on this in Ontario, and the pilot was suspended before we had the results of it. But a lot of research would suggest universal guaranteed income actually works. Uh, look, I, uh, in my, my background economics, I lean to the Chicago school. I, I, I worship at the altar of Milton Friedman, and this is one is of his, his ideas. <laughs> 
I, <laughs> I, um, yeah, I just think this type of program does make sense. I also do think it makes sense at a, a national uh, level as opposed to a patchwork across provinces. But, but here's the catch. There's two major things you need in this program, John. Number one, to make sure it's not a disincentive to work, that the money doesn't get clawed back at a high tax rate when you go out and get a job. You want to always and everywhere incent working and the rewards that come from it. And then number two, to make this effective, you need to eliminate all of the other programs. The last thing you want to do is have a, a, a pile of different competing, contradictory type of programs that will send the wrong signals in the marketplace. So if you do this, the provincial programs that are currently in place, that, that sort of scrabble board, uh, they need to come apart to make this program work effectively. All right. We can leave the discussion of uh, Milton Friedman versus Keynes to another day because that's a little <laughs> too pointy headed. Never been a Chicago schooler, though. Uh, Mitzi Hunter, universal guaranteed income at the federal level. Yeah, we don't have enough time to talk about this issue. I, I mean, this this is something that CERB during the pandemic has proved that people need income stability. They need to be able to pay rent and maybe even buy some fresh fruits and vegetables. And there are benefits, benefits to health care, benefits to education. And, you know, although Premier Ford canceled the pilot that was happening in Ontario, I, you know, I certainly was there when we saw some some of the increases that we saw to people's health, their education and their cho life choices. And so I believe that this, it's time has come. This is actually a conservative program. Senator um, Hugh Siegel, and I know he's, he's, he's no longer here, but this he was a leading proponent of this. And, and it is time that we move forward with this and recognize that people need to have some income security in their early age, not just when they retire. All right. Is that you I hear laughing, Mark Warner? Well, I, I just love the way people, I like Hugh Stiegel, he's nice enough, okay, I've met him many times, but look, the way in which people trot Hugh Stiegel out as a conservative, which is, he's got to be the reddest Tory ever, okay, so you can, he's from the red Tories days, so I like when, red Tories. Tories were, when basically red Tories were new Democrats, so can we, I mean, that, okay, fine, let's talk about the actual issue and, and like not, not crust it up with something so silly, but um, look, the issue, I find it hard to believe that anyone coming after the pandemic with CERB would possibly think this is a good idea. I mean, the disincentives to work and the withdrawn labor where you go into to restaurants and people couldn't find anybody to work in a restaurant or or bake my bread in the morning when I lived in the distillery uh, and other things, John. It was just such a disincentive to labor. And that that's that's what this, as Tim pointed out, I mean, that that's where the rubber meets the road in this. I mean, how do you design this in a way that doesn't make people withdraw their labor and, and push up the cost? And and yeah, so at a conceptual idea, at a dance around the maypole and, and tie-dye t-shirts ideas, I, I love it. But in the, in the practical idea, no, it, it doesn't work. And Sir, and Sir proved it didn't work. But Mark, is it because people's only ambition in life is to earn $17,000 a year? I, I just don't think that that's the case. I don't think well, that- We, we know that from the CERB is it was the case, right? We know that people withdrew their labor when they did have something. Well, a lot of them were prevented yeah. from working at all. Uh, no, long after they were able to go back, they withdrew, they withdrew their labor. Long after, I mean, you had people on, John, of restaurateurs who said they couldn't find work. It, it was what we experienced in this economy. Our memories are so short in this country. We had a real-world experience, real-time experience, and it didn't work. People withdrew their labor and still have. We still have the problem of employers bringing in temporary workers in huge numbers because some people have still not even gone back to the workforce. No, it doesn't work. 
Um, coolest neighborhood. Talk about a sledgehammer hitting a fly. I just think you know, Mark. That's that's not not the correlation here that we should be having. Uh, well, you were in a government that brought it in, so I'd expect you to defend it. But uh, no, it didn't work when you did it, and it didn't work when the feds did it either. Okay, does the annex qualify as not only the 38th coolest neighborhood in the world, but the coolest neighborhood in Toronto, Mitzi Hunter? Well, we've got some cool neighborhoods in Scarborough that weren't on that list. So, you know, I mean, I like the annex. I, I have nothing against it, but we have so many beautiful neighborhoods in Toronto. Yeah, Mark Warner, I, don't, I just don't know the cool is necessarily the word for the annex. It's a lovely place. It's funny, I, I was driving through there, I hardly ever go there very much, and I was thinking of how uncool it was compared to when I used to live there. There was definitely correlation. <laughs> <I thought. laughs> so it's your departure <laughs> that impoverished the annex. Exactly. Uh, me and Honest Dad, there's the two of us. No, but look, I think these surveys, they're fun to look at, but they're silly. I mean, really, honestly, the notion that, that I mean, I don't know that I, what city, what part of Toronto I pull in, but it wouldn't be the annex. And maybe 36 isn't bad. Um, but it is pretty funny when you look at the other ones that are higher than us um you know um so i i don't i don't know i i i, I it's funny it's a fun survey but uh, no the annex wouldn't top my list it's the coolest day okay. in toronto and tim hudak in your capacity in the real estate uh, industry i guess cool factor matters but again i i wish i had the money to live in the annex but i don't regard it as cool yeah i, I i'm the same maybe i gotta go back and spend some more i, I feel like it was like in 1995 <laughs> i thought that was a good place to go and you mentioned the Madison earlier on but otherwise it doesn't uh, doesn't impress me much it's an interesting list though like uh, the number one coolest neighborhood in the world is actually in Medellin in Colombia right <laughs> <laughs> do you dodge bullets there is yeah. it actually a nice place <laughs> thank you all good to have you very lively discussion this morning Tim Hudak Mitzi Hunter and Mark Warner Catch the Roundtable, round one at 7.45, round two at 8.45. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.